Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. If you could stand with me this morning. Amen. In this place, we'll go to the word of the Lord. Amen. Just kind of give us a springboard from jump to jump from today. I could very easily do as last week and just dig in here, but I'll try to ease your uncomfortable feeling whenever there's not a scripture read. So we'll read one. Amen. To bring a little level of comfort to everybody that's setting out there today. This is our last lesson in the series of the Mythbuster series. I'm going to read just Daniel 12 too give us a place of origin here today uh, Daniel that is 12 2 uh, this morning the Old Testament the Bible speaks these words and it says and many of them that slept in the dust of the earth which is just a poetic way of saying many of them that are dead in the grave okay but many of them that are slept in the dusty earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt The phrase given for consideration today is this. Dead people go to a better place. Dead people go to a better place. Amen. Uh, And I'll get in here in just a little bit. And I understand this can be a sensitive issue, but it is also incumbent upon me as a minister of the the gospel that, that I must be very biblically clear about this matter here today and so if you've recently lost a loved one I, I, I uh, sympathize with you I understand that can be just horrid but I, I, my motive is not to be mean today my motive is not to be insensitive but to be clear and to be faithful to the scripture uh, concerning this today and with that in mind can we ask the Lord to help us in the next little while Father I love you today I pray oh God that you would give your servant adequate words God help me Lord with the right spirit to be able Lord to convey Lord the truth of your word I pray God to be clear and faithful to it I pray Jesus today and if nothing else Lord to cause our minds and our hearts to think and ponder God about Lord Jesus this certain segment of time of life of death whether or not God it is just all inclusive that dead people just go to a better place I pray Lord you would help us in the next few moments give us enlightenment Lord of hearts and minds and we'll praise you and thank you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen Amen. you may be seated this morning amen again this is our last lesson in this series dead people go to a better place is the phrase for consideration this morning and whenever I make state that phrase there is something that is very quickly implied by that phrase. And the implication is this, that all dead people go to a better place. As a matter of fact, I think there's even a little bit more read into that phrase even than just that, the assumption that all dead people go to a better place. I believe within that phrase it says that there there are a good portion of people that believe in some type of life after death then also, I believe, is contained within that place. And I seriously doubt whenever people may make this statement that the better place, quote-unquote, that they are referring to is the grave. I don't think that's what they're necessarily uh, implying or relaying to, that the better place is the grave that dead people go to. I'm convinced 
uh, for the most part through the word of God in scripture that the better place that they are talking about is heaven. At least that's my assumption on this side, amen, of the phrase or the interactions that I've had uh, with people that have lost loved ones or funerals and things that I have officiated at or just been an attendee at. But here are the questions today that I present to you that beg answering for us this morning and that is this does death always lead to a better place is it always true that a person who dies is better off than when they were alive do all dead people go to a better place and as far as I know again standing here this morning on God's word and what I know of his word there is truly only one biblical way that the grave can be better than living amen not just anybody can borrow the verbiage of the apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 Paul was in a struggle toward the end of his life had been incarcerated for the better portion of the ending of his days and he was struggling between Bishop which would be better to live or to die because according to Paul living seemed to be more needful for the other people that was in his life no doubt as all of us we would love to keep a loved one around just a few more years or a little bit longer and so Paul in surveying all of this understood that living would be very much more needful for the people in his life but for him as an individual as a person he personally not speaking for all but for himself personally his life of dying would be far far better than living and so Paul said in Philippians 1 23 said for I am in a strait betwixt two the two was whether I should live or whether I should go ahead and die he said having a desire to depart or a desire to go on and die and he said and to be with Christ which is far better far better than what far better than living the life that I am presently living so Paul was torn between two amen with a longing eye though with a longing eye he was favoring death for him it was far better than living to him because he would be the Bible said with Christ amen with Christ I think most consider that is the case for every person that a departure from this life, a separation from this life is going to be better because they think death is better because all will be with Christ. But the question I present to this body and myself this morning is this. If that is the case, do they have the testimony of the Apostle Paul? Because the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.21 a few verses earlier, he said, for, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, death may have been gain. Death may have been being with Christ or in the very presence, if you will, of Christ. But that was only because his life had been lived, submitted, and surrendered to Christ. So he says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is better. Folks, I, I would say this morning, all would be able to say death 
is far better if they had the testimony of Paul that says, while I lived, I gave my heart to God. While I lived, I asked forgiveness of my sins. While I lived, I invited his spirit inside of me. If that's your testimony today, you have the reassurance when you die, you can go to a far better place. But if not, we need to reconsider the life we're living right now. I'll try to be delicate today, but I'm going to try to be forthright as well, which is a fine line to walk. This isn't, this isn't about someone saying, well, you know, so-and-so had a moment in their life where they were very serious about God. But God isn't just looking for solely a moment in life. He wants that moment to continue day after day, after day, he desires our life as the Apostle Paul to be him. Our life to be Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, 6, the Apostle Paul stated at the end of his life, his journey is just about over upon this earth. He says, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand please take special note from the very lips of the apostle Paul that here now at the end of the life he says in this moment I am now ready what are you saying Paul Paul saying I've not always been ready but I am right now at this juncture in my life now ready what are you saying Paul Paul I'm saying this that my name used to notably be Saul and I was a Religious. Everybody just underline that in your minds. I was a religious man, but I was a persecutor of those that preached the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on a Damascus road, within my hands, the letters to take those that were preaching the name of Jesus, but being a religious man, on my way to Damascus on a road called Straight, I heard the voice of God in Acts chapter 9. And I was soon converted from my ways, pernicious ways of persecuting those of Jesus. And I had a revelation that the Almighty God was in Christ Jesus. And so now at this very intersection of life where I'm about ready to depart, I'm about ready to die, I can stand and say, I'm now ready. I've not always been ready. I wasn't ready when I was just a good religious man bearing the name of Saul, but I've had a conversion. I've had a transformation in my life, and I can stand though flat-footed today and say, I am now ready. I couldn't have said that affirmatively years ago, but I can now, and good for Paul that it coincides when he's about ready to leave this life, that he can say he's now ready. What does that tell me when I'm born into this life I'm not ready yet whenever I start in this journey I'm not ready yet but there needs to be a time somewhere in my life that I've had a transformation a transformation a conversion with God that can set my sight right that whenever the end of this life comes I can say I'm now ready I've not always been ready but I am today you gotta have one of those moments that continue in your life. 
Someone say amen. amen. This is good intentions. I know sometimes our lips get loose around the loss of loved ones. People are searching for words. People are searching for words of comfort. People are searching for, for words to try to uphold those that that apparent loss has been immediate to them. And I, sometimes I think we're well-meaning. But in our well-meaningness, sometimes we allow ignorance to come out our lips. Ignorance to come out of our lips. And then there's those that are on the opposite side of this offense, Bishop. People, listen to me. I, I'm trying to be very careful today. People are searching for justifiable reasons why a family member or a friend should be going to a better place after death. Some would say, you know, well, the Apostle Paul, he was a religious man. And he was. But Paul admitted to those that he spoke to in the scripture there that only at this point was he now ready, whereas before he was just simply religious. And religiosity would not assure his readiness at the end of his life in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even Nicodemus in John 3 was a religious man. He was a Pharisee, the Bible says. If anybody knew the law and tried to the best of their ability to keep the law, the Pharisee was the label. No doubt whether it was placed upon them. He was a very religious man. The Bible even portrays him as being a ruler of the Jews. He instructed others in these laws. He instructed others in the life that they should live for the Lord. But Jesus told that very religious man, Jesus told that Pharisee, Jesus told that religious ruler, he said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again. He cannot see and he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus was saying, rather than that all go to a better place, he said all go to a less than better place except if they've been born again of the water and the spirit. Instead of painting everybody to a better place and there being exceptions, Jesus said everybody's going to a worse place except for this one exception. They must be born again of the water and of the spirit. What does that interpret? You got to be born again of the water. You have to have a baptism in the name of Jesus. You have to have a baptism of spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost in your life. Or there is not a better place that is forecasted. That was a religious man he was talking to. A ruler of the Jews that he was talking to. But Jesus didn't mince words. He didn't want to be misunderstood. He wasn't trying to coax the mind of humanity. He was trying to save the soul of the man. Acts 10. Religious man. Good man. Verse 1 tells us that Cornelius was a devout man. He's a Gentile. Bible said that he feared God. Said that he gave alms. I mean, what better man you want? Somebody that gives. He gives, and he even, not only is he just giving alms, but, but he's doing everything he can do. The Bible says he even prayed. He prayed. This is a good, religious, devout, God-fearing, giving, praying man. And so by all our human standards of our little check-off list, goes to church. 
He gives. He, by our checkoff list, this is a good, this is a good man. But before the story of Acts 10 is shut down, I understand whenever he had Paul to come to preach to him that this good man still needed to believe in Jesus. This good man still needed to receive remission for his sins. This good man that prayed and gave still needed the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Paul, when it was all said and done, even commanded that he would be baptized. Why? Paul knew except it's the water and the Spirit. That's the only exception to get to a better place. Cornelius, it doesn't matter how much you pray. doesn't matter how much you give. doesn't matter how devoted you are none of that matters you must be born again of the water and the spirit it takes that amen let me shut that off so I don't break something and so when we consider this there's good reasoning then that sometimes take place reasoning like well there they was a very sincere person they were sincere It'll be okay. It'll be all right. They were sincere about, let's take care, he was probably sincere about his prayer. By and large, very sincere about his giving. It'll be all right. Folks, just to say, well, they'll be, they, they've been sincere. That, that's, that's hopeful. That's hopeful thinking. Hopeful thinking. Cornelius, no doubt, sincerely devout, but he needed the spirit of God for a better place. He needed, and we need, the Holy Ghost for a better place. I don't want to end this life just having been sincere and maybe someday find out I was sincere, but sincere about the wrong things and the wrong... I must be honest today. The apostle wrote in Romans 8, writing to the church at Rome, this is what he said, and I'm gonna, I got a lot of scripture today because I want scripture to preach to you this morning, all right? I, want, I don't want you to see this old flesh and blood up here and see my face and go home and make a dartboard out of it, but I want scripture to speak to you today. Romans 8 and 8, it says, So then they that are in the flesh, everybody say flesh. I don't see no spirits here today, unless it's the Holy Spirit. And I don't see no spirits sitting in these pews today. Y'all a bunch of flesh. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Everybody say, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. In other words, without the spirit of God, you're in the, your flesh. And your flesh cannot please God. But if you get the Spirit of God in you, you get the gift of the Holy Ghost in you, you're no longer in the flesh. You're in the Spirit, and you've got off the bad pleasing list of God. Now, if, he, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none. Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, none of his. Like me going to my mama's house and saying, who are you? She says. <laughs> You're none of his. If you do not have his spirit. What is this spirit? I'll tell you what it is. Skip down to verse 11. 
But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Dead people go to a better place. Not if you're in your flesh, you don't. Not if you're in your flesh, you don't. Because you can't please God. God's not going to have something unpleasing to him in the realm of the heavens. It's not going to happen that way. But if you have his spirit, he says, then that translates you from being in the flesh to being in the spirit. And you can be pleasing in the eyes of God. And if you have that same spirit that Christ had that raised him up, amen, it's going to quicken your mortal bodies one of these days when the last trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. According to a May, this is somewhat aged, but nevertheless, according to a May 25th, 2004 Gallup poll, and I don't always lean on statistics, but just for the sake of it, that it said that 81% of Americans believed in heaven. 10% were unsure. 8% didn't believe in heaven at all. In the same poll, about 71% of Americans believed in hell. 12% were not sure and 17% did not believe in hell at all. For the most part, the percentages who said or say that they believe in heaven have for the most part remained relatively constant over the past 50 years in America. Amen. And I back up as an outsider considering this and I'm thinking of course it has because by and large, we all fall under the category of the phrase that we're considering to get today. Humanity and society does. When you die, you go to a better place. Right? An earlier Gallup post said 77% of the ever optimistic Americans related their odds of making heaven as good or excellent. Well, as a Barna research poll from a few years ago said that just one half of 1% expects to go to hell when they die. Point in case of the mindset of society then that they believe dead people go to a better place because just one half of 1% expects to go to hell when they die. And so even though that most Americans by and large believe in some kind of life after death, some type of existence of the soul, here's the problem. Not everyone is clear about their own destination. About one in every four adults, or about literally about 24%, admit that they have no idea what will happen after they die. Now lean in and think about this and give this consideration, ladies and gentlemen, for a moment. Perhaps one of the most important questions of all, what about eternity? Or if you were to die, where would you spend an eternity? And most people don't really have a clue about where they're headed or where they poise themselves for going. Everybody Okay. I admit that I have stood at the head of a few caskets hearing meaningful people say he or perhaps she is in a better place now. 
And knowing the situation, Bishop, I stand there in my mind and I think, do they really, do they really mean that? Or do they not know what to say? and are just using that little phrase as a platitude of comfort for those that are standing there. Because in reality, watch me here, I'm trying to be gentle, but I want to be so, so, so right on with Scripture. In reality, that well-meaning phrase sometimes, in some cases, is nothing else but a bold, evident lie. I know we may be feeling a little uncomfortable right now, and that is somewhat good. The baton was passed to me today and they told me I had to preach. Are you telling me that the same God that said in 1 Corinthians 2.29 that no flesh should glory in his presence primarily because the apostle said in Romans 7.18 because there dwelleth no good thing he was referring to in my flesh is going to allow us to inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, when we, listen to me, are no different than the sinful family of Adam and Eve that was driven out of the Garden of Eden in the beginning because they were in the flesh. You're telling me God is going to allow us entrance when he wouldn't even allow Adam and Eve to stay in the Garden of Eden after their transgression. He's just going to bat his eye and forget thousands of years the ways that he did things and say, well, we're going to make an exception for you. Because if I don't have his spirit... If I don't have his spirit, I'm not in the spirit, the Roman writer said. Is that right? I'm in the flesh if I don't have his spirit. And if I don't have his spirit and I'm in the flesh, you know what comes with the flesh? Works of the flesh. You hearing me? Galatians 5, 19. Let's explain what some of those are. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, Lasciviousness, I don't have time to give definitions to all these. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and then the writer says, and such like. In other words, I can't go on and name every single little thing that's a work of the flesh, but they are very, very, very close companions of those that I have already named. And he says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Since Adam and Eve, we've all been born after the Adamic nature, the fleshly nature that is prone to the works of the flesh. And if there is no change, if there is no benchmark where our life has been changed, where we've been born again of the water and the spirit, all of that is still very much so inherently a part of us from the moment that we have been born. 
And if that's the case, our flesh is not going to glory in the presence of the Lord. Our flesh cannot please God. That's the reason why you must be born again. You might have been born once into this world, but you got to be born again in the Spirit of God in order to obtain heaven. Because if not, you'll find yourself being a drunkard, you'll find yourself being a murderer, or you might be a good moral person, but you're still laden with sin. That needs a Savior. And once you get the Savior and the Spirit of God in you, So in case anybody doesn't understand what I've said for the past 30 minutes. All dead people do not go to a better place. Unless exception, the same exception he gave Nicodemus. Unless they've been born again of the water. Baptism. Submersion in Jesus' name. And the spirit Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues as that spirit you received gives you the utterance, which means to speak a clear sound or more obviously to, to, to enunciate plainly. To speak in tongues. That spirit gives the utterance. That spirit gives the ability. I'm not trying to be with the gloom and doom, but I'm trying to get a reality check. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the song uh, Solomon, he, he spoke to us very plainly. It was, he was looking at life through a backslid preacher, so to speak. And you know what? He told us. He told us very plainly in Ecclesiastes. He said, if you're either going to go to a festival that has a lot of festivities or go to a funeral, he says, pick the funeral. That's what he tells us in Ecclesiastes. If I could get it just down to words we could understand. If you had the choice, if, you, if it was on the same day and you had to go to a wedding or go to a funeral, he says, go to the funeral. Why? He says, because when we go to funerals, we contemplate our own lives and our own destinies. And so this is what we've gathered around here today. I don't have a casket up here. Maybe I should have probably talked to one of the directors. I could have probably got one. Amen. They let me borrow. Just put a casket up here this morning because people begin to think about their own destinies in life whenever death has reached somebody else's door. But outside of that time, we just live. We just live. With abandon, doing what we do without any thoughts, maybe until health starts turning bad or this starts happening or that starts happening. We don't even begin to consider. I'm going to state something today. You don't have to agree with me because Scripture already does. There will be good moral people unable to go to a better place. There'll be religious people unable to go to a better place. There'll be good-hearted people, sincere people unable to go to a better place because they did not have the Spirit of God in them. There are frail attempts today, and listen to me, anybody that's trying to butter both sides of your bread is not doing you a favor. Anybody that's trying to make you feel and I'm not here trying to make everybody feel bad. If you feel part of that today, I'm hoping it's the conviction of the Holy Ghost. But what I'm saying is this. I can go through life and just tell you you're doing great. All this is fine and grand and you can sleep around and fornicate and you can have. 
And I can just tell you you're doing good and underscore how, how wonderful it is that you just live in life and you know, blah, blah, blah. And you reach the end of your life and understand your destiny is far removed from where you thought you were going. There are frail attempts today. People even stand in pulpits making frail attempts today. Just telling us what we want to hear. Because people just want some type of affirmation in their life to remove the guilt that they're feeling. And if they can have a man of authority that's supposed to be a man of clock and tell them it's okay, then that removes their guilt and does nothing more but seal their destiny too if they can't feel the guilt for what they know is against God and his word. Now you're probably thinking, man, I'd hate to be at a funeral. You do. Let me tell you something. I am the most gracious person ever when it comes to doing a funeral of somebody that evidently has never received or never went down the road of the Spirit of Christ. I have done those. You know what I do? I eulogize their life. I talk about the positive aspects of that person's life. I don't preach them in heaven. I don't preach them in hell. But I preach to the people sitting there about how to get to heaven. In Genesis, the word of the Lord says, and I oft times have leaned upon this in funeral sermons, the Bible says, shall not the judge all of all the earth do right? And whenever it comes to those episodes, that's what I lean on. There is a judge of all the earth that's going to do right. He knows far better than I do, but I would want to the best of my ability already follow the plan that the judge has handed me. And so people trying to affirm people in their lives that are out of step with the master start to take verses out of context that does nothing more to underscore the myth we're talking about today that people go to a better place. I've heard people take Luke 3 and verse number 6. If you'll throw it up there, try to use this verse and say, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. There we go. Pastor McGee, dead people, all people going to go to a better place because all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh will experience the salvation of God. Dead people do go to a better place. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't allow someone to snap, just, just, just grasp you and take one long verse out of context and try to apply it to your life. This long text, this long verse in Luke 3, 6 is taken out of a passage that's talking about John the Baptist that is going to be coming forth preaching it's telling how John the Baptist's ministry is going to be fulfilled what was prophesied by Isaiah and Isaiah 40 how John was going to come and prepare the way of the Lord how John was going to come as a herolder of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ but verse 6 in particular refers to Jesus Christ meaning that when Jesus comes all flesh shall see the salvation of God the reason being is because Jesus Christ is a Hebrew name Jesus Christ in Hebrew means this. The Lord is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. God is our salvation. I preached to you all enough, but I'll preach it again. John 4, 24 tells me that God is a spirit. A spirit that is invisible. A spirit that has not flesh and blood. A spirit that is unseen. But the Bible tells me plainly, the Old Testament, that even no man has seen God at any time because God is a spirit. God is invisible. God is unseen. But whenever I read the New Testament scripture like 1 Timothy 3.16, that God was manifested in the flesh 
as Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.19 that says to wit that God was in Christ. Whenever Jesus Christ was born and walked among humanity, his name means that, that God is salvation, the Lord is salvation, Jehovah is salvation. You know what the writer was saying? All flesh shall see the salvation of God. They could never see God, but whenever Jesus came and God indwelt that man, Jesus Christ, they could all see the salvation of God. He had flesh, he had blood, he had a body. That's not talking about everybody that's born in this life is gonna reach heaven someday. That's talking about the people of that generation in time seeing the salvation of God through the man Christ Jesus. But Pastor McGee, I feel the Holy Ghost. A loving God would never send anyone to hell. And I agree 100% with you. God will not send anyone to hell that did not choose hell in their lifetime. If you reach hell, you will not have reached there on accident. If you reach heaven, you will not have reached there on accident. It's kind of like this in legalities or legal terms. A question was asked about a legal will, Brother Mason. A question was asked about a legal will that I would like to parallel, if you will, application for our human wills. And the question was this. Is there any time limitation on the validity of a will, a legal will? The answer from those of that field said no. Said a will does not expire or become invalid because of the passage of time. Listen to me. It becomes operative when a person dies. And a person, listen to me, may make many wills in their lifetime. But the last will, the last will of the person is the will that is the valid one at the day of their death. We're all born into this world with a human will as you will. They don't validate, they, 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 they don't go invalid or they just fall off and no longer, they don't expire. But if you make another will, if you make another will after that first will and where your first will was, I'm gonna do what Paul wants. I'm gonna live the life that I want. I'm gonna drink and I'm gonna chew and I'm gonna smoke and I'm gonna cuss and I'm gonna live total diabolical to the word of God and God. That's my will. But if somewhere along the line, I have an apostle Paul moment and I give my life to God and I say, not my will now, Lord, but thine will in my life. I wanna be filled with your spirit. If I go to my grave with that will, that's the valid. That's the valid. That's the valid will for my life. See, because with your human will, you have the ability to refuse the gift, which is what the Bible calls it, the gift of the Holy Ghost. With your human will, you have the ability to refuse the gift of the Holy Ghost. That God desires to give to every man if they'll allow it, if they'll continue in it, if they'll abide by it. Those that are wicked, those that are evil, he's wanting to give it to them. If they'll receive it, if they'll abide by it and with it. 
Listen, this is Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. This is scripture in the context speaking about the nation of Israel. God speak to them. They had their ups and downs. They had their times that they continued in their moment and they didn't. Thank God for repentance that can always bring us back to center. And he said, say unto them, he spoke to Ezekiel, he said, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, look. He says, I have no pleasure in the earth. I have no pleasure in the death, rather, of the wicked. You look up that word wicked in the Hebrew language. One of the many definitions of it, but this is the one that I use for application for us today. He said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In the Hebrew, it is the guilty. I have no pleasure in the death of the guilty, but that the wicked or the guilty turn from his way and live. Turn ye, he says, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? What are you saying? Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, of the guilty. Because whenever they die, they're going to be met with everlasting death. He says, turn ye, turn ye from your ways, the evil ways. Why will you die and go the way of everlasting death when you can live and go the way of everlasting life? Listen to me. So to not to believe in Jesus... To not repent and be baptized in his name for the remission of sins. To not receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift that God wants to give us. Even in our classification of being guilty, he wants them to change that. If that's, if that's our response, our response is one of refusal. Then God has no pleasure in the death of the guilty. Why? Why? Simply because he has no pleasure because they will not go to a better place, to his place. The Bible says, Proverbs 11, verse 7, the writer says, When a wicked man dieth, his expectation, which was a cord or line of attachment, if I can say it like this, his lifeline of possibility with God. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation or his lifeline, his quarter line of attachment for a possibility with God perishes at death. And the hope of unjust men perish. Conversely, verse 8 though, the righteous though is delivered out of trouble. Back to the wicked though. The wicked cometh in his stead. What does that mean? The trouble that the righteous were delivered out of, the wicked at death are going to enter their trouble. Rich man Lazarus, Lazarus and all his life was comforted, or the rich man rather was comforted. The, the Lazarus was tormented. Whenever they both die, what happens? Flip flop. Lazarus is now comforted, and the rich man is tormented. He says, At death, the righteous is going to be delivered out of their trouble, but the wicked, ungodly man, he's going to enter into his stead. He's going to enter in his trouble. 1 Corinthians 15 and 19. This is the Bible. It says, If in this life only. We have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. Someone hear me? Our hope in Christ only exists in this life we currently are living. 
only exists this, this life we're currently living. Only this life. If we do not seize that hope during this life. Hope for you only exists while you're alive. If you don't go on and seize that hope while you're alive. There is no hope beyond the grave for those that die not being in Christ and Christ in them. Conversely, though, Psalms 116 and verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I got to hurry. Everybody doing okay? It might be a short overtime here today. Revelation 14, 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, right, blessed are the dead. Everybody say, blessed are the dead. Which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Had been that long ago, we did our 34-part series on the book of Revelation. Blessed are the dead. That sounds weird, but it's not weird. Whenever it, we understand, a question immediately comes to our minds. Why is it such a blessing to be dead? <laughs> That's the last thing you say to somebody. You know, God bless them, they're dead. You just don't say stuff like that. Why is it such a blessing to be dead? Again, is it because they go to a better place? Because all dead people go to a better place? Is that the reason why there's a blessing for those that are dead in this verse? No, two reasons are given in the text. Again, namely, number one, number one, you see in verse number 12, because how they lived. The Bible says they kept or they guarded the commandments of God. In other words, they didn't just have a moment, they maintained the moment they had by keeping and guarding the commandments of God. That's the reason why they're blessed in their death. Number two, in verse number, in verse number 13, the Bible tells us the second reason, because of how they died. They died in the Lord. They died in the Lord. Now listen to me. Everyone will resurrect, just not at the same time. Mm -hmm. Our scripture setting in Daniel 12 told us, there's going to become a resurrection to those going, going to a better place and those not going to a better place. Everybody's going to resurrect. But those that are in the first resurrection, according to Daniel, are going to be those that resurrect some unto everlasting life. Those, though, that are resurrected in the second resurrection are going to be those that are going to resurrect some to everlasting contempt. Now, here's what we need to do. You just... Tell you what, you, you need to put some more sugar on your Wheaties or something. You just don't got it today. This, we have a loving and a gracious and a merciful. We do. We do. He's so merciful, he gives us our years upon this earth to get it figured out. He could take you from the womb to the tomb and not give you opportunity, but he gives you however number of your years upon this earth to get it figured out. And so we need to adjust a statement here. We need to, we need to adjust a statement here based, off, based upon Matthew 7. Our, our dead people go to a better place because the Bible says in Matthew 7 verse 13, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way. That leadeth to destruction. Everybody say wide. Broad. That leadeth to destruction. And many, everybody say many. There be which go in thereat. Verse 14, because straight is the gate. Narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. 
And so you're going to tell me you're going to fall to the deception that all dead people go to a better place? Whenever my Bible tells me there's a broad, wide way that many are going to go there at and it's going to be destruction and there's a straight, narrow way that few there's going to be fine, life, amen, we need to change that. Dead people don't go to a better place. Few dead people go to a better place. Amen. Back to Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus relayed that parable. Tells us very plain that both the rich man and Lazarus die. But in verse 23, we plainly read. If dead people go to a better place, we read that in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes. What just happened there? A dead person didn't go to a better place. And the Bible said that in his life, he fared sumptuously. He fared sumptuously. But now he's in a position, hell, it says. He's begging for mercy. Drop of water. Folks, that's a far cry from a better place. If you'll stand for me and I'll close very hastily, I'm sorry. I think living with the end of mind is expressed very wonderfully by, by something that someone had said. Now, whether they're legit or not, I don't know, but their statement was good. Okay. You make good statements, have a horrible life. And their statement was, he said he wanted to live so that when it came time to die, there was nothing else he needed to do but die. People, I don't know how you are with your finances, and don't come to me after church tell me. I don't need to know. But some people, the only time they reconcile their checkbook is whenever there's a problem. They want to see what they got, what they don't got, where'd that go, I should have more, blah, blah. When there's a problem, there's an issue. Now, I'll, just tell, I'll tell you about me. Me, I do it every week. Every week. That's what I do on money. I reconcile my checkbook. You know, if anybody's going to have my money trying to make a little bit of interest off of it, I'm going to try to get my point zero zero two five you know, percent. But what I'm saying is this. We treat life the very same way. People are trying to reconcile the accounts of life when breath is slowly slipping over their lips and they're asking whether or not there's going to be the next breath. They're trying to, they're trying to make all the records come to snuff what needs to be done, what ought to be done. And there are people sometimes that get right, they get baptized, they feel the Holy Ghost at death. And I thank God for that. But you don't have to wait till then to try to make because you might not have the chance of a prolonged death to get things right. We got enough fire department people around here that's been to too many episodes when when they arrived, it was already over. So let your life's journey be this. I'm going to make a decision today that I won't have to make the day I'm dying. I'm going to make a decision today. My flesh can't make it. It's not going to glory in His presence. It's going to enter there. I need the Spirit of God in me. I need baptized in Jesus' name. I, I need to repent of my sins. I need that cleansed. I need that to happen today so that whenever death does come, whenever that may be, and some of us think it's a whole lot further down the road than maybe what it actually is going to be. I don't know. But hopefully that we won't have nothing else to do but just to die. Whew. Folks, that's the way that we should live our lives. 
if like the apostle Paul, if living for Christ, if, li if living for us is Christ, then dying for you, dying for you can be gain. Death is only better. Death is only better if you've already died with Christ in this life. So, unapologetically today, dead people go to a better place. I'm sorry. That's not the way God explained it to me in His Word. That's not the way that I, I, there's enough scripture that I gave you this morning. You could just pick up that scripture alone without my voice giving any commentary on it and pick up that scripture alone. And there's going to be shouting truth out to you that not all people just go to a better place. You're making choices today. You're making choices in this service this morning and you're being held accountable for the very words that this pastor has preached from this pulpit. It's landing up on your ears and they're not deaf ears today. You're going to be held accountable for what you've heard today. The ball's in your court this morning. The ball's in your court this morning. I'm sorry for loved ones and such that have passed. I'm sorry for that, and I, I sympathize with you, all of that. But, folks, I can by no means affirm something that God does not affirm. I cannot underscore something that he doesn't just because it's going to make us feel better. We can make you feel better in this lifetime, and you'll feel bad for the rest of eternity. I'm not willing to chance that. Ready not like me, get mad at me and upset with me in this lifetime and make heaven your home someday. And we'll just call it even then, all right? Brother Mason, if you uh, if you can take us to song here, and I know you're on a time schedule. With, not today, with school. Well, thank God, the providence of God. So I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. God has been in this place this morning. God's been setting us up. I feel this in my spirit. God has been setting us up for this moment today. God has been setting us up for this moment. Some of you come here and you got prayed for and felt the power and the presence of God and been overwhelmed by that and that's tremendous. Let me tell you, you can have that for a lifetime if you make the right decisions today. It doesn't have to end at death. I'm challenging us today. If we bow our heads all across this building this morning, they're going to begin to sing a song. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.